So, uh, Comrade Donald went up to the uh, fair state of Colorado, up in the uh, up in the Rockies, land of land of John Denver, for the uh, Marxist Center Conference. We actually talked about this last year. Uh, I think mm. it was around the same time as the um, DSA uh, every two year conference that they have. I mean, like, we did like huh. an episode where it was kind of like a roundup of conferences. We were curious about Marxist, the Marxist Center one oh, last yeah. year, but we didn't know that much about it because we didn't have anyone going. Now we do, or we had we had someone who went. So, Donald, what was your uh, general impression? Well, you know, I was. I'm. I'll have to say this. I'm very optimistic about the way things are going. I think that it could have been. I was worried that it could have been a total disaster. And I think that if the composition of the group had been different, it would have been a total disaster. But I think that it was ultimately a success. And I think I think before we kind of go on about whether it was success or not, we should talk about uh, what exactly this conference was, the background, history, and everything. Yeah, and touch on composition because that sounds interesting too. Yeah, because I, you know, I thought that the composition was far more working class and non-white and male-dominated than relative to, like, say, a DSA meeting. Okay, so like, what is this group? Like, what is Marxist Center? Okay, so Marxist Center was originally a Facebook group, and this is one of the reasons I was skeptical about it because often attempts to form parties on Facebook go completely horrible, but. Anyway, it's basically right now what I would say it's a federation of groups, local groups primarily, including Philly Socialists, Seattle Communists, uh, Silk City Socialists, New Rivers Worker Power, Red Bloom. I know there's others I'm forgetting, but those are some of the major contenders. What's kind of the common denominator here? Yeah, the common denominator that all these groups agreed on before this conference was the idea of a strategy of base building. That essentially, and I think there's a lot of arguments about what base building means, and I think that essentially to me, it's just the bread and butter of socialist organizing in the sense of we want to build a proletarian base, and we do this by building institutions, institutions that can fight for the needs and interests of the working class. And so this includes, you know, everything from mutual aid organizations to trade unions, like industrial unions to uh, cooperatives even to uh, self-defense organizations, essentially organizations that I guess you could call them like red mass organizations. And so... I think a, a, an alternative you could a, a comparison you could make would be the kind of alternative culture that the SPDA had developed in its classic years. Another comparison people like to make is the like the social programs that the Black Panther Party was running. And I think that ultimately this idea of base building is correct because when we look at the most successful proletarian movements in our history, it was through building a working class base of institutions that really mattered, if that makes sense. Right. And like last year, we talked about this, like in the, in the context of the D, the DSA thing was happening at the same time. And what's interesting is that you do see right now kind of a ten, like a tension 
in the lower ranks at least of the DSA between engaging in electoral at least you know democratic party politics and base building you know because like there's different people who are involved like maybe more you know like disaster relief projects or you know the whole thing where they fix people's brake lights and shit like that you know as but so it seems like the marxist center thing are people who probably have you know more of a staunch um, anti inside outside strategy in terms of Democratic Party. They do, they they don't want to engage with that one hundred percent and want to start purely focus on with the base building element. That's what it looks like yeah. to me. Yeah, the Marxist center is essentially entirely not only unified around the idea of base building, but it's entirely people who are revolutionary socialists or communists, and they reject coalitionism with the Democrats. And some of them actually have very critical views of the current leftist activist culture. And there's an idea that we need to be building real working class institutions that aren't connected to this kind of activist culture of NGOs and whatnot. So this conference happened last year. Is this the second or third or how many times have they done this? Yes, this is the second conference that they've had. The first conference I wasn't at, so I can't really speak about, but I imagine it was more of just a kind of orientation around what, you know, we're about and what our goals are and kind of workshops about. They had workshops about organizing at this conference too, which were useful, but I think that this was the first conference where essentially all of these different groups in this federation came together to try to form a united points of unity. And so I guess uh, we can just, uh, I guess I kind of set up uh, what the conference is about. So I guess we can just kind of talk about what happened at the conference. Yeah. Because, yeah, it was uh, It was on, it took place from a you know, Friday to a Sunday. Friday night, we had uh, Boots Riley come and give a speech and we watched his movie, Sorry to Bother You. And he had a uh, question and answer afterwards. And that was... There wasn't really anything politically serious on that night. It was just a kind of welcome, you know. Look, we got Boots Riley. Check it out. Yeah, we got. Well, yeah, yeah and, and Boots was very excited about this project, and you nice. know, he talked a lot about. There's a lot of really interesting things he said. Actually, I think uh, one of them was because Boots used to be. I don't know if he still is, but he used to be at least in the Progressive Labor Party, which was kind of like one of those classic like New Left Leninist parties. And he says, one thing he said was, you know, I used to do this, you know, kind of top down, super top down style organizing where people come to you and you tell them what to do. And then Occupy, that kind of, you know, you know, you learn from experience and that kind of showed that you, you have to have it go both ways. You can't just, you know, kind of command people around and we kind of need new forms of participatory democracy. And that's something that he wanted us to keep in mind. And, of course, he also warned us about the dangers of sectarianism and whatnot. But and anyway, so uh, any questions on that or? Yeah, I mean, what, you know, overall, like, I, is Boots, like, would you say, like a centrist in this regard? Like, did he did he say anything, any, uh, like, like that responded to the sort of. Are you asking? Are you asking what's his Marxism, basically? I'm um, just just asking if those like if anyone was asking the sub, those substantive questions and like because I mean you know if someone like Boots is you know like 
doing a Q&A session, I mean, I bet you there's a lot of Koo fans there. It's one of, like, the most yeah, prominent yeah. Marxist well, groups. Well, yeah, in the Q&As, you know, some people talked about how he kind of relates his art to his uh, politics. And he actually kind of said that's not really the most important political thing he does, actually, if I remember correctly. But um, he 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 basically did describe what I would call a strategy of patience. He basically, well, one of his advice was we have to be very patient and we have to slowly build up our forces and we need to... Uh, we we need to work through differences in democratic ways, basically. And I think um, one thing that Boots said that I thought was important was he says that, you know, class really is the most important thing. And this does not mean being a class reductionist and dismissing fights for the democratic rights of oppressed groups and things like that. But the point is that he's making is that without a powerful class movement, without a powerful labor movement, social justice movements don't have teeth. And if they don't have teeth, they just become part of the bureaucratic apparatus of the Democratic Party. And so he's, you know, he basically said, listen, you know, if you want to actually win things like Black Lives Matter, you actually, you, you have to win the labor movement to your side. And so you know, there was a bit of the merger formula kind of going on in there, too. And another thing he said is that, you know, the labor movements, what they're lacking today is real leadership from communists and radicals. And I think that spells true, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, so Boots Riley, uh, even cooler than we thought. <laughs> yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, I he's, mean... he's, you know, it's, it's funny because whenever he goes on a, an interview or TV or anything and someone says, oh, you're a radical, he says, no, I'm a communist. How does Sorry to Bother You fit into that picture of organizing? I mean, it must be very interesting for you as a well-known anti-capitalist artist and organizer. To communist. Now communist marxist so like he is the he is the most famous communist in the united yeah. states i think there's a clip of him going on bill maher in like the early 90s or something boots i want to talk about your album cover now that's the one that's out in the store it's a picture it's called uh, party music so it's a picture of a guy holding a champagne glass it's a molotov cocktail a molotov cocktail it looks with, like a cocktail oh, it looks like a flaming martini right, cool. Here's the one that you want. I don't know if you can see that, but uh, if you can get close enough in there. It's, it's the World Trade Center uh, on the day just as the planes hit. And there <laughs> you guys, you don't look terribly upset about it in the foreground. You look like you're partying and... Well, there are, no, there are no planes being hit right there, but... Let, but uh, it's the World Trade Center yeah, exactly. being hit by planes. I think uh -huh. he, no, he's, de de he's detonating it yeah. with the guitar tuner. Yeah. Oh, you're detonating it. See the. Uh, so tell me what this means okay. and why you. Well, think it means literally the metaphor is supposed to be that our music is destroying capitalism. I have a bass guitar tuner which is detonating the bomb. Well, let me ask you, what and have my, you got against capitalism? DJ has. Why, why, is, just, why do you want to destroy capitalism? What have you got against capitalism? Oh, the same the same reason that people should be against the re Enron controlling the government. Well, that, well, well, it's not your record. Okay, but that's not capitalism. That is exactly. I live in capitalism. I have to. Be, I know. I'm on TV. They probably show the coke ad right now i'm on something being done by disney I so i have to use it but to get my what paradise do you envision look i envision something, i envision something so crazy that it should be more democratic i think the people should control the profits that they create dude he's challenging you know what I'm saying? Right and that's now. what that's 
that's what sumo wrestle you. That's what communism is. That's what socialism is. I'm a communist. And I think that the people should have control over their own destiny By the way, and over the process. Did you read any of the history of the 20th century? Yes, they did try communism. You're more concerned with material and equality exactly. than with individual rights. And if people rights. know the definition of it, they are one too. But it doesn't work in practicality because it doesn't conform with human now, nature. Now, first of all, human nature all, is greedy. Every, we no, that's not true. Every single we civilization that first started, every <laughs> communal, every every communal, every Every they tried society. communism. Did you get and the memo? Every tribe tried. We, I, we did not try communism. That is false. Did you read the history book? We, yeah, I did. The never is, they, never, they never even claimed to get to communism. Soviet Union only said, claimed that they were fighting for socialism. And they never got there. The point is, is that they never can either, that you can either, wealth doesn't work. You can right. either have a society like this where All half right. a percent of the I gotta population, take a capitalist of course you gotta go <laughs> to me. I gotta spell. And yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he's honestly he's the only like musician that's not a dumbass, basically, pretty much like that I've ever you know actually you know encountered. <laughs> and point being is that I don't know. Point being is that he he actually articulated a communist worldview in the nineties, nine fucking nineties, as I think we've established that it was a show about nothing, and um, and then Harlan Williams, the guy who played uh, Kenny in Half Baked, fucking made fun of him, kind of, and it was sort of racist. And not only are they not only are they listening to these corporations, they're owned by these corporations. They're, they're the people in the cabinet are on the payroll for Enron. The, the uh, head of the Republican National Committee collects a seven-figure salary from Enron and, and lobbies for them. They, you know, yes. wait, wait, and, and they fire good. people good. on the cabinet. They say this person is not working I agree with you, and they fire them. Yeah, so the whole thing. I agree with some of what you say. <laughs> I don't think Enron's trying to take over Afghanistan. Well, you're, precisely. I mean, well, they have enough troubles. Okay, not only them, but... conclusion we are trying to establish banana republics in Afghanistan, no. that's a far-fetched conclusion, you know. It's not just Enron. It's far-fetched if you look at the facts. Let's talk about facts. Oh yeah, another interesting thing that I think another just the end on the boots thing, another interesting thing he said was that kind of the left right now, they're too focused on spectacle. And this kind of idea that we need to have an activist kind of spectacle to get people to wake up and see the truth. And if we just do this enough, people will come to our side. And you know, he said, no, we have to patiently organize and win people over to our politics. Yeah, no and more performance whole, art. Right. Yeah, and he's he actually, you know, part of his movie is actually yeah. um, relates to that um, critique that he has. Is that, you know, we need to move away from spectacle activism and, and move towards you know what i guess would be called which, base building which yeah which is an amusing critique coming from an artist you know oh yeah and he's well the thing is is what he said was that the uh the artist character in his movie was actually meant to be a self-criticism of himself and how he struggles to make his art relate to his politics Gather around, form a semicircle. Tonight, we will have a transformative experience. 
In those containers, there are broken cell phones, used bullet casings, and water balloons filled with sheep's blood. Cell phones can only work with a mineral coltan, which is found in Africa's Congo. The profit involved in this has created hardship and wars. I will stand here. If you feel so moved, you may throw the items in the containers at me. While I'm standing here, I will be reciting excerpts from the timeless Motown-produced movie entitled The Last Dragon. I will recite those lines that Angela says to Eddie Arcadian as she leaves him. Let's begin. And in the end, Eddie, you know what? You're nothing but a misguided midget arsehole with dreams of ruling the world. Yeah, and also from Kew Gardens. And also getting by on my tits. Bravo! And in the end, Eddie, you know what? You're nothing but a misguided... And I yeah. thought that was really interesting. That was one of, in my opinion, my favorite things of the movie, you know? Like is that it kept pointing to how limited art was as a political form, which is just nice. I like that. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, classic self-critique, but not in the bad way, not in the creepy cult-like way, but yeah. But, I mean, you can see that in his work, too, like, where his stuff is, like, it's actually, like, entertaining. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like live, laugh, fucking drink liquor, hope the goddamn revolution comes quicker. Well, it's. It, I mean, as much as I love, as much as I love, like Ken Loach, like his stuff can get a bit didactic sometimes. Um, but like you can tell, like sorry to bother you, it's like you know, even the even the stuff by the coup, like first and foremost, like they're just trying to be entertaining. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're just trying to be like a rap group that anyone would like, regardless of their politics. And then this politics, it's it sneaks into there, which is the which is the sanest way to approach it. I mean, well, maybe we yeah. can abstract from it that we just need to be good at something and then be a communist. You know, as more or less an afterthought. I mean, like, I I got I got into this so that I could just get like my like central state check and like live off the government. I don't want to be good. Yeah, at I, I I got into this so I could get that Soros and Putin money. Yeah, not have to work. But uh, anyway, so that was the first night of the conference. You know, everyone was kind of cold and tired from traveling. Like people were, and hot, you know, fun- and high from traveling. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people, you know, were like, you know, obviously, you know, it's Colorado, so mm-hmm. people yeah. are oh, gonna oh, take oh. advantage of that legal weed. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the next day was the most difficult one to get through, and I guess this it started out. The schedule was that from nine o'clock to eleven o'clock, we would have the votes on the points of unity that because before this conference, the only thing that all these groups basically agreed on was a strategy of base building. And so now the question is if we're actually going to unite into a, a national org, what are our points of unity? What, what do we politically have in common? And so um, one of our comrades, Clara wrote an original draft for the points of unity. And then like a day before the conference, this other organization, like an organization for a free society or something like that, it was like, actually, you should use our points of unity instead. And obviously, that didn't fly. And so, basically, it was 150 delegates from different organizations all voting on these points of unity. 
And I'm not going to lie, it was kind of anarchic process of, of, you know, editing and voting on all the edits and stuff. But I think the most important thing is that it was done democratically. And there was a group of basically Marxist-Leninist, like Stalinist, who I got to call, the, like, who were even calling the wreckers of the round table, because some of them are involved in this podcast, Proles of the Round Table. And, and so basically, like, they were jeering and booing and, like, calling, like, you know, calling for, you know, killing anarchists and trots and stuff. And multiple times, the leadership had to tell them to shut up. And so they were basically kind of obstructing this whole process of the points to unity. It really came across as, like, because they were from Colorado Springs Socialist which was the group that was hosting this. You know, they're, they're one of the Marxist center groups that's hosting this. And there was seven people from that group. And basically, they weren't getting their way. And they were mad that uh, it was about imperialism. Uh, I guess uh, the original points of unity says, you know, oppose in you know, oppose U.S. imperialism. And one of the suggestions was to oppose all imperialism. And the tankies, as I'm going to, I'm just going to call them the tankies, they really didn't like this because they saw it as like, they started shouting, Orientalism, Orientalism, because it was, you know, they saw it as suggesting that China or Russia were imperialists of some kind. And I guess to them, like, only the U.S. can be imperialist, I guess. I don't know. And oh, that's so, kind of like a kind of like a thing we just read in history and helplessness. That's interesting. Yeah, exactly. They totally like you know had that whole campist ideology of you know if you don't support Assad in Russia and Iran and China, you're you know you're basically helping the United States. And uh, that was one of the big things that really pissed off the Stalinists. Another one was. Someone from uh, one of my own comrades suggested, because uh, there was a line, fight for the reorganization of the economy in line with socialist principles. And uh, one of our comrades said, oh, you know, that's kind of vague. Maybe we should change it to something more precise. And the Stalinists were like, oh, my God, this trots, not even a Trotskyist, but everyone who's well, right, uh, right. disagree. Yeah, exactly. They're like, oh, this trots trying to take socialism out of the out of the points of unity. When obviously, like, if we were trying to hide that we were socialists, we wouldn't be called the Marxist center. It's just an absurd, <laughs> like. Yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so they were causing a bunch of shit and just being major assholes. And but the way the system worked out was they weren't able. No one was agreeing with them basically because it was obvious that their behavior was out of line. I just like anyone who comes to a thing where it's like 150 people, <laughs> and it's like this is where I'm going to make my stand. Oh man, I'm going to make I'm going to make this about me. Well, that's what they were trying to do is they came across as they were expecting all these organizations to come to Colorado Springs and then all agree with them and, and basically follow their line. Yeah. When instead, the way it was supposed to be was all the different delegates from all these different groups were supposed to democratically determine what our unity points were going to be. And obviously compromises were made, but I think that's okay because if we want to have a democratic process where we actually reflect the politics or the organizations involved 
people are going to have to make compromises. And ultimately, like, I was worried a worse split was going to happen. But in the end, basically, by the end of the, uh, by the end of Saturday, everyone was just really burned out. Like, the debate about the points of unity and the affiliation requirements had taken up basically the entire day. And you're only supposed to take up, like, I think the points of unity discussion was only supposed to take up two hours, and it went on for five hours. And I think I think they should have expected it to go on longer than that because, yeah, you know, it's just really hard. It's going to take a long time to come to a democratic decision on this. But eventually, um, so basically, after Saturday night, the Stalinists who I'm talking about they started posting all this stuff on Facebook, making all these accusations of that were just completely unfounded. They claim that. Um, I think some of the posts are deleted now, but one of their claims was that, um, one of them was that, uh, there was unpaid domestic labor for childcare because some people had to bring children to the conference. And, uh, basically what happened was someone volunteered to do it for free. And the group Colorado Springs Socialist was going to give them money anyway as a present without telling them because, you know, they just didn't, you know, they, they, yeah. But they made a big deal out of this and were like, oh, you had Boots Riley come, but you couldn't even pay the people who did the domestic work, you know, of childcare. And that was just uh, a bunch of bullshit. And, uh, you know, they were trying to claim that uh, Tim, Horace, and Gabriel, you know, basically the two leaders of the, the conference, they were, they tried to paint them as white men, like talking over trans women. <laughs> when in in fact is they were speaking for these trans women who actually agreed with Tim and Gabe, and so they basically tried to use all the Idpol cards that they could, but no one actually agreed with them, and so they looked really bad, and so the next morning, you know, the conference starts again. And they just walked out because everyone voted against them. And the conference unanimously voted for the points of unity. And so I guess any questions about that? Well, some of the, hearing some of that is like a relief just because I yeah. remember, you know, one of our concerns about, you know, like Philly socialists and stuff that seemed to operate on like a don't ask, don't tank policy. Mm-hmm. And anytime we would bring up like, well, maybe we should debate Stalinism like in the mm-hmm. Marxist Center, like Facebook group, right. like, people would get all butthurt, get all mad about it and be like, this is this is pointless. This isn't germane to anything, you know? Yeah. Like, and yeah, and I find it kind of weird, like still like because um, be- I don't know. This is partially my fault because. I assumed they meant like Mike McNair's centrism by center. And what they really mean is Hal Draper's um, idea of a Marxist center. And so I just sort of assumed that they would be on the same page of like, yeah, we don't want to make people think that we're going to try to repeat Stalinism, you know? Yeah. And that is, it turns out they're not that big on that. But from what I understand, <laughs> they're not that big on making sure that, that people know that they're trying not to recreate Stalinism. On the other hand, on the other hand, um, it does seem like that, you know, there are what? There's like an abstentionist kind of third period style anti-revisionist faction that voted for this points of unity that 
I understand, you know, ends up siding with the Marxist center against these um, records of the round table. Um, so it sounded, you know, that's, that's, that's interesting. This. Yeah. I think, I think the point here is that often people's stated ideologies are less important than their actual politics and practice. I think that if, if people are Marxist Leninists and they're willing to work with Trotskyists and, other tendencies, I think that that's not a problem. But these Marxist-Leninists were too dogmatic to do that. And I also think, yeah, and there's also, there's a time and place for these discussions, and they're very important discussions. But I don't think that we should base our unity around which socialist leader you like the most. I think it should be based around concrete, programmatic unity. Right. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying, Lex. There was kind of this don't ask, like, uh, you know, don't tell policy over Stalinism. And I think that in the end, the more hardcore Stalinist kind of lost out in the end. Yeah. Which was good. And I was worried there was going to be a bigger split, you know. But in the end, it was only seven tankies that ended up splitting. And they didn't even have to get kicked out. They should have been kicked out. Did they walk out? Yeah, they just walked out because they gave up they went into the mountains yeah they were all they like we're in, base. yeah they decided to go form a protracted people's war in the mountains what was i gonna say yeah so uh, i can't remember if i mentioned but yeah these people if there was an infamous episode of rev left radio that was like a seven hour like <coughs> seven you know, hour no three hour sorry like defense of stalin and it was those people who split so that gives you an idea of like the kind of people these people are. So we like, just got, we just got paid to rebut that episode. I, I I mean I feel like I feel like we might also have to rebut their episode when they give their account of this conference. Well, we already are. We already are working on that. Apparently, they're gonna try to do like a whole like oh this conference was bullshit. They kept comparing it to the Socialist Party USA. They're like this is no better than the SPUSA. Like. Blah, blah, blah. You know, might as well join the SPUSA. You're all a bunch of liberals. And I think, you know, that's just nonsense in my okay. Everyone there was a revolutionary socialist of some kind. And if you're going to do entryism again, do it to the Communist Party USA so you can get that land. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sweet office. Mm. Yeah. So, okay, so what's next? Oh, I guess we could talk about, you know, what the points of unity that decided on yeah. were. Yeah, that seems like the most natural transition. Yeah, all right. So the agreed upon points of unity were, um, number one, commit to building institutions of and for the working class, using local organizing to unite the workers of the world to execute the revolutionary overthrow of capitalism. Understand the working class as a diverse and varied class that encompasses both productive and reproductive workers. Commit to the access of all people toward organizing spaces, communications, and documents, including language accessibility, prioritization of work schedules, and the accommodation of physical needs, disabilities, children, and transportation needs. Honestly, I have no issue with any of that. And I think that, um, I think, you know, maybe... The definition of the working class could have been even more expansive. But anyway, we'll talk about more about how this is all going to be debated and, and discussed later on. So number two is uh, support the creation and growth of solidarity unions towards the aim of a unified labor movement while working towards revolutionizing existing unions towards this end. 
So uh, the big question on that one was what are solidarity unions? And the way I understand it is that they mean like industrial unions that are more militant and radical. Like example given what that was given was like the SI Cobas in Italy. Would it be like the IWW in the United States or? Yeah, but uh, like ideally more successful at actually organizing. <laughs> right, but like nothing, nothing like that currently exists, right? I mean, it yeah. Just... So it's you know the idea we need to start building fresh unions and organize the unorganized in a way that's you know goes against the the bureaucratic sectionalist like nature of trade unions. Okay. And three, acknowledge and educate about conditions existing for the proletariat and work towards their dismantling and liberation of all people through the foundation of socialist principles. Recognize capitalism's role in perpetuating racist, sexist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist, Islamophobic, anti-Semitic, and xenophobic violence, while simultaneously recognizing that these forms of oppression and marginalization result from material divisions of labor and serve to reinforce class society, fight against privilege and oppressive behavior within the working class. So yeah, that's your basic, uh, you know, we, we have to fight against all oppressions and that's a part of unifying the working class. And I think that I, you know, I agree with that. If you're, if you can't stand tribune against the these things, yeah, be a tribune of the oppressed. And number four was, is, um, reject the strategy of administering or reforming capitalism and recognize that the capitalist state can never be made to serve the interests of the working class as a whole. Work against the interests of the capitalist class, even if holding government office. So this was very controversial for people because, for one, there is the question of, for a lot of people, they think that if you are holding government office, that means you're administering capitalism, when I think it's more complex than that, because there's different branches of the government, right? And someone who holds a legislative position in, say, Congress, I don't think that they're necessarily administering capitalism. In fact, they can, as it says in the Points of Unity, work against the interests of the capitalist state while holding government office. You can be a sort of insurgent, you know, candidate that kind of throws a wrench into the system, if that makes sense. And a lot of people... Yeah, and, and and a lot of people don't understand how you can do that. They think that once you sit in a government office, you're administering capitalism. And I think that's kind of, you know, it's kind of a reductive way of looking at it. But we can talk more about that. Uh, five, fight for the reorganization of the economy in line with socialist principles. Demand and organize democratic worker control over the means of production in the state. Again, I wouldn't exactly have phrased it that way, but again, this is not my project. It's our project, you know. Support six would be support democratic self-government by the working class in all spheres of collective life, including the empowerment, support, and self-determination of oppressed people. I think that's that's you know something that I think is shared by McNair that we need to democratize all spheres of social life. Uh, oppose and refuse compromise with all forms of U.S. settler colonialism, imperialism, and domination. Oppose the exploitations of countries affected by capitalism by the imperialist core. Recognize that the United States is a settler colonial entity. 
support the complete emancipation, decolonization, and self-determination of indigenous and oppressed people, work within the core to undermine imperialist development and achieve reparations in the global south. Now this one was very controversial because some people wanted to go further and basically argue that we should give sovereignty to indigenous communities fully. And I think Clara made a good point that this is something that self-determination and revolutionary integration, these are all things that kind of have to be determined through a democratic process of deliberation between oppressed groups and whatnot. And I think that, for example, decolonization can mean a lot of different things, and it's not really clear what decolonization means. I think that if, you know, if we mean, you know, kick all whites out of America and send them back to Europe, and I used to not think that anyone actually believed in that and called themselves leftists, but there actually are, which I find insane. But, um, yeah, so uh, decolonization, that can mean, in my opinion, a lot of different things. And it can be a good thing. It can mean ending the the historical le- legacy of colonialism and internal colonialism and achieving, you know, like developmental reparations in the global south to address the uneven division of development, not just within the world division of labor, but also within national divisions of labor. Because there is a very racialized kind of division geospatially in the United States, if that makes sense. If you have, you know, poor black neighborhoods who get no funding, or you have rich white neighborhoods that get tons of funding. And I think if we look at reparations in those kind of terms and not just redistributing money, I think that it's a more meaningful, it's a more meaningful kind of uh, category. So that's, you know, that point number seven, that's going to be something that I think is going to be very hotly contested and debated. And one thing I said was that we kind of lack, the Marxist left kind of lacks right now the vocabulary to talk about these issues in a post-colonial world. Because in, say, 1945, decolonization was very clear what decolonization meant. It meant you know, independence for colonial nation states. Donald, can we get can we get these points of unity so we can look at them? Yeah. Okay. So, and I mean, uh, and and I just uh, as a as a, because everyone wants to discuss every point. Um, you know, just uh, minimize editorialization. Just sort of explain the group's All position. Right, so I'll just I'll just read through the last few. Yeah. Um, work towards developing historical materialist analysis and strategies rather than basing tactics on inherited dogmas. Recognize that Marxist analysis requires investigation into constantly changing dynamics of capitalism. Recognize that climate change caused by capitalism constitutes an existential threat, existential threat to all life, to the working class, and to the people of the world. Commit to a socialist slash communist politics that is fundamentally ecological. Commit to supporting specific environmental struggles when they occur in our areas. 10. Recognize that we cannot use make use of the ready-made state machinery of the capitalist state. Work towards the abolition of police, prisons, and all related systems of capitalist state violence, oppression, control, and surveillance. Work towards building democratic alternatives for our class, including transformative justice, and then 11 is commit to the self-defense of all vulnerable, marginalized, and working-class communities. And those are the points of unity. 
And there was a glossary that was added on, but it was not voted on. And I actually can't tell what the glossary originally said, because it's now empty. But a lot of the critique that came towards these points in Unity was the glossary had incorrect definitions of a lot of things. So I think uh, that's one thing to keep in mind. So the only thing that was voted on and approved were these 11, these 11 planks. So maybe this is a good place to start. How did those glossary entries get there? Oh, it was just um, a random person who decided to post them, made it. Like, I don't even know who it was. It was it was just an individual. Yeah, okay, because the, the, that's circulated with the points of unity. Yeah, and I think it's important to like recognize that these points of unity have not been officially circulated yet by any organization. Like, literally, someone just posted them online and wrote their own glossary. Yeah. Like, there's not... Because there was a, there was a resolution in the form of Marxist Center website where all of this stuff would be officially presented. Mm. But so mm -hmm. far, all the points of unity have only been kind of unofficially presented. Right, right. That makes sense. All right. Well, um, maybe you start from the top. Grant, I know that you had a sort of feel about the beginning, right? Oh, yeah. I, I didn't read the beginning uh, intro. Yeah, let's which get Which I think I, usually these beginning intros don't impress me. but um, The, the preamble. Yeah, the preamble. After years of dormancy, the working class movement has woken from its slumber. In the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, the liberal democratic illusions of the post-war consensus were shattered. At this key juncture in the reawakening of the working class, we, the undersigned, gathered together in order to collectively affirm the necessity of establishing a socialist current, which unapologetically and openly advocates a revolution, practices and advocates the broadest and most thoroughgoing democracy possible, and critically appraises past attempts to establish socialism while recognizing the necessity to break with past dogmas and develop revolutionary analysis which maps onto existing conditions. All right. Um, so, Grant, you, uh, you had a feel about this. What was your feel about this? Uh, well, I had a few. Um, I thought it was vague and not quite the best summation of our, of our present moment um, as a sort of anti-politics-oriented Marxist, I, I think the trends that are most noticeable, uh, the kind of few stirrings of activity that we see today, don't f trace back to beginning with 2008. I think they begin with the gradual erosion of party democracy beginning after the Second World War. And that, if I was writing a Marxist center or organizational or something points of unity, I would start from what I see in the proletariat, which is the the political negationist tendency, not from uh, this more ideological place. Which I don't think that many people in the group would even disagree with the sort of sense of, you know, malaise about bourgeois politics either. So that's like... Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like... Yeah. I don't think a single person at this conference would disagree that the working class is alienated right. by the two-party system and feels that none of these parties represent them. And if they do vote for them, it's out of a, you know, a, uh, it's a lesser evil type thing. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, they're not wrong that if you're, if you take a, if you take a sort of like pre-financial crisis and then um, like to now, you look at like trends in like the labor movement and labor movement activity, not necessarily in unionization, mind you, but in terms of labor union activity, um, you know, it hits a, it hits a nadir um, and then spikes up a little bit. So, you know, they're not wrong that there is an uptick in like working yes, class there, activity, like in I think union that, activity. I think there's definitely an uptick and I think you have to be blind not to see it. Yeah. Now, if I would say it was the 2008 crisis that necessarily led to this uptick, I'm not sure. Yeah, that, that I mean, because us Marxists so. always like to think that, you know, crisis is what causes, you know, upticks in class activity. But I actually think it had more to do with a political, uh, you know, the political side of things, that there was a sort of breakdown of political authority of centrist liberalism. Right, under and Obama. I think that, under Obama, yeah. And, and I think the Occupy movement that responded to the 2008 financial crisis was a part of that. And I also think that, you know, the rise of Trumpism and this kind of economic nationalist right is also a part of that. It's, it's, a, it's a breaking down of this uh, neoliberal consensus of centrism. And I think that's where we're really seeing the, the rise of working class activity come from. Is, is there's, been a, there's, there's been a change in the political sphere that changes what people in the social sphere see as possible. If that makes I mean, sense. I mean, I I think that there's probably an, there's an uptick in class consciousness, but I don't think it's found a coherent organizational or political expression. Yeah, like strikes have gone up, but not all of these strikes are successful. That's the thing. I, I think we have seen some examples of proletarian social activity in in our century, and I think that the ongoing uh yellow vests provides an example of what's working right now if we look at 15m that those are things that actually brought masses of people and mobilized them um about riots basically i don't i don't think that those can be reduced to to purely riots in direct action form um What's what's the difference between direct action and a riot? Direct action is a rectangle and riot is a square. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that's the only kind of thing we should be concerning ourselves with. I just uh, in general I think that the institutions of and for the working class are are going to come through um are going to correspond to practical needs rather than trying to grow a sect. Well, and I, but that's the thing. I don't think these. I don't think Marx Center is trying to grow a sect. That's the interesting thing about these points of unity is that they, um, that like it's actually if if the yellow vest thing is is your favorite thing in the world right now, it's like this. You know, there's nothing about this that says you shouldn't be excited about the yellow vest. That's you know seems to be an an uptick in working class among other people activity. Um, I mean, it hasn't it hasn't found a coherent political expression though, because there's you know it, it never really tackles the question of power in a fundamental way. It's these things are purely reactive. Well, I I think that if you, I I have to disagree. I think that if 
if you look at when, you know, we're kind of taught to view these mobilizations as pre-political, you know, but in recent history, it was exactly when these mass kind of uprisings and insurrections were subsumed by the left that revolutionaries witnessed failures like Syriza or Podemos. Uh, I, I think that these moments of emerging self-confidence in the proletariat, Marxists have to be far more concerned with how do we protect these from political subsumption um, than we do gaining command of them. These are the first stirrings of self-confidence in the proletariat. Uh, I actually but think how, the opposite. Are, are, but are you, tell, are you telling me the Greeks could have rioted their way towards... You're telling me the Greeks could have rioted their way out of the European Union and towards a functional, self-sufficient economy? That's not what I'm saying, but they, they, they certainly had a... Um, do you think we should do Syriza? I don't understand what you... What you're... Well, no, 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 no. Here, here's what here's what we shouldn't do, right? Is allow, like, what we shouldn't do is like look at these things in isolation. A lot of times, people adopt quote politics quote or like get quote realistic because they run into the limits of the kind of autonomous like and emergent direct actions that they're doing, and there is an element of truth to needing some kind of leadership that sort of emerges in these situations that has an outlook towards how to best preserve the like autonomous you know like operation that's going on there with an eye towards listen this is going to be crushed soon if we don't figure out how to make this last longer because that's just the last three decades Right. I'm I'm not against organization. We're, I think I think we're all here. We're all here because we're, we're, we've I, that's the reason I ever got into Marxism or ever took Leninism seriously was mostly because everything failed. All the autonomous stuff that I was took a part in. I mean, we didn't even get what the yellow vests got. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, they they got their demand, and I think that what's differentiating some of these movements like 15M and the Yellow Vests is that they are running against the political class as a whole, and they've made the legitimacy of the political class a part of a fabric of their movement, and re- and by rejecting that, I think they can achieve a lot. But how? But how do but you? What happens? But 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 what happens next? Is that different from Occupy? Because wh- when I was around Occupy Sacramento, they had a lot of the same feelings there. When I was, you know, in Occupy Oakland, I, I, you know, I don't they, think there's this. I think there's some the, people I don't had, a, think... had a problem with civil rights heroes speaking because they were Democrats. I don't think that there is, was the same level of uh, working class mobilization with Occupy as there as we're seeing here and with 15M and and. That's probably in Greece true. leading up to Syriza. That's probably right, here's true. my question. All right, hold on. Like after these movements, what happens? Like what I, I'm not opposed. Listen, I'm not opposed and you win your to demands. What do you do next? And so the question is, like you either you get Syriza or Podemos, or you get a proper Marxist party. Well, you say you have a question, and then you answer it. I mean, I I think well, that that's, yeah, that's my question is what happens next, and I think. We like a lot of times people have these revolts and then they just go home and do the same thing they've always been doing. And we need to have institutions that we can plug 
you know, partisans into so they can continue this kind of this kind of activity. If yeah, that makes hap- sense. Yeah, something needs to be going on when nothing's going on. Because you get like, like right. yeah, okay, you can get the you you can get the capitalist class to drop a carbon tax. Great job. Um, but there's nothing that's actually going to, like how do you how do you go from the yellow vest to an institution that can actually take control of society and manage it in a way that will actually do something not only about the immiserated conditions of workers but also this massive ecological problem that could collapse our entire like civilization. And, and that's why you need leadership. Yeah, I think 15M. Um, so well, we we yeah. certainly need. I, I'd really like to. We certainly need these these movements to internationalize and i think that is going to require communication and coordination and institutions but i think that those institutions will be born of of the practical needs of proletarian yeah. worker activity absolutely not of- absolutely but can we take a look at 15m because i think 15m is a very instructive example of what grant is talking about and what donald and jake are talking about because in 15m they made a conscious effort to screen out all politicos like look if you're part of some party or some movement you've been involved in politics get the fuck out of here we don't want you here and what ends up happening is that from just responding to the dilemmas that they face you know, coming up against the limits of direct action, trying to keep the momentum going, trying to become serious about changing the way the state operates. Like they created Podemos. They created something I wouldn't call Podemos a creation of, it was made by a political scientist. It was made by a political scientist that wasn't affiliated with any, was, they wasn't affiliated with a party. You know what I mean? Like, the thing it, is, I think is Podemos that the, the was a sign of the movement found it rational, and I do think there is a place for leadership, communist leadership, that it, it can't be domineering. It ha- you have to win democratic support. You have to win popular how can support. You, how can you say the movement found it rational when social support and activity was completely withdrawn when Podemos became active? Because it wasn't. It wasn't working. It wasn't. Yeah, they like, had. It wasn't working, and they had to find something different. And what they settled on was Podemos, and that's look, just what happened. Like, like I don't look, think uh, there's. The, it, I I am I am a standing like Occupy apologist. Like I I wrote Occupy for like a year. Like yeah, me, me which too. Is probably like no nine, no no. I, I was months, around for way too fucking long. I didn't get nine, it. Nine months longer than most people. I didn't get anyway, it. Anyway, I want to get back to a point that Grant made, which is that these institutions they have to be based in the real needs of the working class in the real needs of the proletariat. Yes, that's But I don't true. understand. I, I think that's what the Marxist center is trying to do. They're trying to build tenant unions and industrial unions and mutual aid orgs and self-defense orgs, et cetera, et cetera, that are rooted in the real material needs of the working class. Like there were, you know, people who came to this conference from Philly tenants unions who basically said, you know, I'm not even a socialist, but these people fought so hard for my rights that, you know, I decided these are my people. And I think that that's an important, I think that that's an important point to be made is that we can do this kind of patient long-term institution building and it can still be connected to real proletarian communities. Like bases don't come out of nowhere. Like you have to have someone who does the hard work of leading 
you know, the organization and organizing things. And, and that takes people with dedication. And it, and when you don't have anyone who's actually trying to form these social bonds and lead the a, a direction, then it's, it's, you're not going to be able to build a base, if that makes sense. I think you end up with periods. And I, I do think it's obviously reassuring to hear that, you know, there are people who are not ideologically, you know, trained socialist, whatever, making their way to that conference. Um, but in a longer term sense, I just have to admit my, my, you know, both my sympathies and my skepticism about base building and about the ability of kind of through local organizing to to build a base, you know, to ready make a base. Because I, I think if this was a strategy that was resonant, I, I don't understand why the kind of, you know, perhaps politically inferior past attempts in the sense of like, anarchists doing kind of base building or social base oriented politics that ultimately why hasn't politics been able to why is this going to be different why is this going to be able to accomplish that to revive the well, unions and all of that well the trick is first of all got to find a way to keep the cia out of it you can't i'm not joking <laughs> but you you no, can't well, yeah, that's, you can't, that's though. true yeah like, but the bullshit i mean and like I think- the bolsheviks I don't know. They knew they were infiltrated, and they just had to deal with it. We're gonna have to deal with it. Well, we can't actually yeah. stop them from infiltrating us. Well, well, yeah, but the American state is significantly more developed than this than the Czarist state, so well, it's gonna be this a, like a what, significantly more difficult challenge. Yeah, well, I'll say this: what I think is different about this time is that this is after a long period. You know, we've had a, it's been a hundred years plus since 1917. And so there's a lot of strategic lessons we can learn from people who've organized things. And I, there's a story I want to kind of tell us, like some of the base building that orgs in, in this conference are doing. For example, there um, was, you know, New Rivers Worker Power. They had a project where they just went to a trailer park and talked to the tenants. And they found that there was a lot of issues in the trailer park. But the issue that, you know, a lot of these people were really concerned with was that there was a manager at the local Target who sexually abused workers. And so they got jobs at the Target, and they agitated workers, and they were able to successfully get his manager fired without any of them getting fired. And I think that's that's real proletarian base building. That's, I don't, you know, like, and it was because you had leaders who were ideologically committed and we're willing to go out there and go in the proletarian neighborhoods and talk to people and connect people that, that this was able to happen. It just didn't happen because people, you know, it just didn't happen out of nowhere. It took, it happened because you had socialists leading it. You have to and, start somewhere is what you're saying. Yeah. And on some level, I am, I am, I am deeply sympathetic to, especially, you know, in the imperialist core, this idea of kind of the worse, the better, because I do think that, you know, it's probably going to take like some kind of deterioration of conditions to really activate people in a way. But and Jake, so, that deterioration is already happening. Like, mm-hmm. just, I, that's what I'm saying. Like, right. I mean, I think it's going to have to get even worse. It's, you know what I'm saying? Well, like, and I think that we, we, we need, we basically need to start somewhere so that when we get to a point where it gets worse, there'll be more of a, you know, like a, you know, communist alternative being posed politically. Yeah, it won't be left book and that's it, right. Well, yeah, and I think, for example, like, 
say you want a mass strike, like all of the mass strikes that happened in history happened in in places where socialist parties or radical unions had already organized people and developed a sense of collective class belonging. It wasn't just because randomly, oh, look, they're going on strike. Let's go on strike, too, because we're part of the same class. The idea that they were part of the same class had to be developed through collective praxis. And it's through collective action that people develop this sense of belonging to the same class. I mean, I think it's possible to be too, like, creationist about where proletarian action comes from. But all the same, like, um, I think it's, I think people can be a bit naive about how many things are not, you know, started by someone who has, like, an agenda and wants to get something done. And I think what we're saying here, or what you're saying, Donald, is a little more, Jake, than, you know, we got to start somewhere. It's, Donald, use the word ideological or ideology. Like, we need someone that is, like, politically committed in a way that is kind of activated and... I dare say instrumentalized to get people moving. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think one thing that me and a comrade, really important conversation we had was that you really do need people who are morally strong and idealistic for these kind of things. Because those are the people that are going to actually put their bodies on the line to make proletarian activity something that's viable for people who aren't ideologically committed and i think the more you read about you know the history of struggles not just going on in the past but today you realize that this matters this kind of ideological commitment does matter and it is part of what motivates people to make sacrifices that otherwise wouldn't be made that that allow struggles to win and so ultimately that's why this starts with 2008 because if you if you start history from you know 1850, it looks like the class war had a big boom and bust, a big reset button. If you start it from 50 years ago, it, it just looks like a big secular decline. But if you start it from yeah. 2008, it looks a little hopeful. Yeah. Well, I think if you look at things from 1850 to today, you do see a boom and bust kind of cycle of class struggle. Well, I think just like a, a an enormous that, big boom. <laughs> well, yeah, but but the thing is, is Beverly Silver's book, Forces of Labor, it's, she really explains the, the patterns behind this and the one variable that she finds that most, you know, the one variable that really seems to correspond to these boom and bust cycles is geopolitical conflict and political conflict. And it's in these kind of periods where class struggles really pop off, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense because there's a, I don't know, there's a question about whether like loyalty to the state as is is worth it. It's a, yeah, it's a exactly. Because in the period, see, the way, the way she points out is that you have kind of like Polanyi esque class struggles. Reference to Paro, Carl Polanyi, but really the point is, is that there's struggles for workers to maintain privileges that they have within the capitalist system that are sectoral, and these can often actually be reactionary struggles. And during certain periods, these are the kind of struggles that dominate. And so, you could say that perhaps, in you know, this corporatist arrangement of class of you know of class conflict is 
is basically that that's what it is and that's kind of been the norm for the past 50 years but then she says there's marx style class struggle just class struggle that leads to new associational forms and progressive demands and whatnot and i think that we're entering a phase of that kind of class struggle if that makes sense but yeah beverly beverly silver forces of labor yeah so with all that in mind we should we should look at some of the we should kind of like open to the panel more of this points of unity. I I think the preamble, I don't know. I think I honestly don't have a problem preamble at all. Uh, You know, my, the point about starting from 2008 is yeah, it's trying to be peppy. And if I wrote it, I obviously wouldn't have been so peppy, but whatever. I agree with it. But listen, like, you know, you kind of got to be peppy to get people to, you know, get people excited. If we're just like, Oh, we're doomed. We're fucked. But here's, you know, I mean, it's, no, I, I, just, I, I get I, what you're saying. I, I, you know, think different political appeals work on different types of people. Some people need to hear up front that you're not going to sell them like a religion. And then you may earn their trust that way. Like, and some people are looking for hope in a more straightforward way. And so a, a different pitch will work on them. So anyway. Yeah, looking for a heart in a heartless world or whatever. You, you know, I don't, I don't really have a problem with you know one pitch versus the other like just it depends on who you're working with and you know if you're dealing with activists yeah if you're you know dealing with people out there i think a lot of people will need to be sure you're not selling them a bill of goods first but anyway moving on let's talk about maybe point one um i guess we've kind of already been touching on it yeah building building institutions of the working class i think this is probably something that we all share, like even an anti-political perspective ultimately wants to see an association of the working class. There's a left communist angle that would say you don't want permanent association in organizations. You need like ad hoc ones that just sort of pop up. You know, this isn't taking that line and it's sort of centrist in that way. Yeah, that's what I would say is that that is very much, you know, in line with McNair's right. Marxist center. So that's position. that's McNair. That's where the McNair overlap is right there. Yeah. Probably. And and I'll say this, like a lot of the people who worked on this points in unity have read McNair. Yeah. I mean, where it doesn't overlap with McNair is uh, McNair is more concerned with elections. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a product of the comp like just pull up comp like political differences within the group not everyone is a lot of people are trying to get away from this dsa stuff and so it's like maybe we should just be abstentionists and just give up on this electoral politics altogether because it's just not working well we did a poll in the marxist center facebook group and what it looked like was overwhelming majority of people felt that they're not abstentionists, but they're, they basically don't think that elections are what we should be doing right now, which is something I've heard from a lot of left communists throughout my, you know, Marx adventure, but I didn't believe that they actually meant it. And I kind of believe that these people do mean it, um, which, you know, regardless of how I feel, like, I think that's, you know, I think that's, a, a better position than being abstentionist, which there are, there's a small amount of abstentionists. And, and honestly, there was almost no votes. There may be like three for, we should be doing election stuff right now, which I was surprised. Yeah. At. But I, I think that's sober though, because 
the idea is before we can run elections, we have to have a base. We have to have people who support us. And to get people to support us, we have to struggle with them and win their trust. I think I think that underestimates the propagandistic utility of of just like winning a spectacular like um doing a spectacular campaign in a seat that never gets challenged and just like, you know, twittering out twittering like a like a someone that's been in their district for 20 years or something like that. I mean, um, I agree, Alexi, but the thing is, like, you need to have volunteers. Who's doing that that's not, like, a Democrat politico? It's open. That's something that can that's a, happen. That's the thing. That's what it, yeah, it's open. No one's so, doing it yet, I mean, but I, it I could actually, be done. So I'm actually sort of repping the uh, infantile disorder line here. Like, anyway, the point being that, like, <clears throat> I was surprised that the people were writing off elections, but I guess people are used to the sincere electoral attempts that you see in other places and and not the kind of trollish obstruction that i would like to see yeah i think um in an article i wrote i call it insurgent electoralism like you want to be the dangerous vote like you want to be the guy that everyone says don't vote for you know because this person's a dangerous communist who wants to put you all in gulags and I mean, I'd say if there if there was electoral work to be done right now, it's honestly probably in ballot initiatives where that's applicable. I feel like yeah. you could probably like I think you probably force through some electoral reform that way. And I think Philly Socialist has actually done some stuff like that. They actually have done some campaigns for ballot initiatives and stuff. And there probably are some crisis areas where if you targeted things well, you could probably get somebody elected to something just as uh, you know, basically to sort of you know, at some point we need to create kind of like the Ron Paul of communism politics who just like who wins something and then just goes in there and talks about his crank theories well um, i mean in other words you, like uh, jehu 2020 I, I mean like that was you know liebnick and uh and babel they were the ron yeah. pauls of their day <laughs> like, oh god god oh, god re- please, I, please please i mean i'm gonna do like 15 ron hail paul, marys but... for that one my lord well, the thing is like ron paul is more trollish than bernie sanders no, no, he no, says it's more true. it's true well, Jehu 2020. We're starting it right here. I'm making this a meme. Yeah, J- I'm gonna will this into existence. Yeah, Jehu I've 2020. always thought that you should run, but you know, uh, me? let's. Yeah. How about Jehu Verso 2020? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, we should get the campaign to recruit Jehu. I'll be. I'll be his Joe Biden. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway. Um. So the other point that was pretty controversial was um i think we kind of talked about this with the whole decolonization issue and i think that this issue is just so complex that it ha- it has to be a conversation that we have to kind of have extended over time basically yeah i, I i'm sure that the conference is more integrated than a lot of dsa events but it was it wasn't which is i mean that's extremely encouraging and that's great but like, and it was just generally more working class. Like you got the feeling that these weren't just a bunch of grad students. That's good. But I I do think we probably don't have, you know, the kind of like I don't know, grasp on, you know, whatever with each indigenous group in the country, you know, would find acceptable or whatever. Exactly. Or like what, exactly. What the class tensions are within these groups and how to like properly you know deal with the historical like rift 
But yeah, exactly. Like, there hasn't been enough real. There's really not a lot work. of grappling of that, and I mean that would be a significant task for any communist movement. And for those people that think that because it's a small, it's a relatively small amount of people that it doesn't matter. It's I think it's a really important for like redoing like undoing the national myth in a way like like that is a task of communists this isn't like a myth that we can reappropriate we we have to do it in a way that's like you know doesn't i don't know i don't know how to do it but we have to i'm coming i don't know i'm coming around on this idea of like um decolonization means honkies out like I think we should actually like send all the white people back to Europe. I mean, they'll they'll um, pay for your education in Germany. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, not well for two one because I just kind of want to see what that would look like. Like I want to see like these ghettos of people like creating like their own, own kind of like ho- like homegrown like corner stand Applebee's or like Seven Elevens that aren't like of the corporation, but right, they just right. want to recreate their culture and what they're used totally. to. Or like you know, I want I want to see like uh, little Minnesota you know, pe- people like yeah, people like blasting Garth Brooks like out the out the back of their cars while like French people like sneer at them. You know what I mean? <laughs> big like, big I, tensions I wanna, with I the wanna, American immigrants. I want to see. Yeah, I want to see what it looks like when like the like white suburban Americans like are like the ghettoized like underclass. That's you know, it's like they they don't accept our culture here. They you know like I want I want to see what that looks like. They don't accept our French Republican values. These goddamn Americans. All they want to yeah. do is like uh, you know. They just want to they want to watch video their Disney. games. They don't. They want to watch their NFL and their their football. And they want to they want to play. Oh, they want to they clog up our Disneyland. That's all they want to do. Sorry. They don't respect the democratic value of a Big Mac. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so, but I I think like what was missing from that points of unity is that as communists we want an integrated world system where ultimately nations don't exist. And I think the roadmap, the getting here, the getting to that point is what is up for debate. Right. I and I think what, it's it's weird that some people put forward like indigenous ethno states as the kind of future way of doing decolonization because like there weren't countries here before. There were not they're like modern nation states. No, I mean I think it's yeah it's really tough to say. Uh, it's a it's it's a hairy issue. Well, here's what you don't want to happen. You don't want someone to be like come up and be like I am a part of this group. Therefore, I represent all people from this group. And if you disagree with I say you're racist. Right. Um. But yeah, exactly. But and as that's the problem is who represents what national group. And what are the class tensions of these national groups? And that, like, you know, you have to actually look at, you have to actually organize amongst these communities to understand these things. If if you were any more concrete about this, this the I don't think this points of unity would have passed and people would have just, you know, yeah. went their separate ways, honestly. And, you know, to the extent that this is a pre-political formation, that is why it's not operating on the McNairist, like, programmatic unity thing. Um, these the a points of unity isn't, I think, the same it's thing. It's not programmatic unity, and it's prince. It's unity of principle, basically. It's like these are the right. principles that we all agree on, and then from right. here we can work towards a program. Which you know, I I don't I don't necessarily like. I understand that that's not a bug. It's a feature, even if it's a bit of a bug, and it will eventually come up it's maybe not the most important thing right now i quite agree with the organizers on that 
Well, I just think the most important thing right now is that all these different leftist groups came together and united on a set of shared principles. That's pretty unique. Like, how many times has that happened in American history? Yeah, that's unique. I mean, it's not the DSA, you know what I mean? The DSA didn't have something like that. It was just sort of a de facto, like, well, socialism's becoming a thing. Hey, this org has socialism in it, you know, like... Yeah, exactly. But it wasn't it, was, a, it wasn't was a, a coming together of different groups. It was a much safer channel. And when t- trying to put McNair's analysis in America and operationalize it for our situation, I would always look at the DSA as like a broad metaphor for maybe like the the Labour Party entryism, but what we never had was something that was like that rhymed with like the left unity effort that McNair was writing about. The subtitle to that book is Marxism and the Challenge of Left Unity. That was the strategy he was trying to advocate for. Um, This is probably the closest thing to that. And it was interesting that in the UK, the left unity effort had to go in and then fall apart before Labour Party entryism became a popular strategy among the far left. Whereas here, it's sort of the opposite. Yeah, now it's like all the people who went into the DSA to radicalize it are like, oh, fuck, maybe we should just join Marxist Center instead, because this seems to be a lot more promising and more in line with our politics, and we don't have to constantly explain to people why, you know, border control is bad and Bernie Sanders supporting Israel is bad. Um, can we maybe talk about the thing about the points of unity that I think bugged me the most, the glossary, the sort of added on glossary, you know, without the, okay, that makes sense. Someone just posted on their Facebook, you know, whatever, like they get a pass there as far as I'm concerned, like, all right, fine. Like, but, um, I was feeling pretty chipper about this. And then I sort of read, I reread it with the glossary in mind and it stuck in my craw because we had just read post stone that they had the very limited definitions of communism and capitalism. And like, it made me realize that this is open to like, at least like three interpretations, you know, um, there is like a kind of neo-Leninist and in a not, you know, not maybe not the way we would want kind of way that you could read this. Um, I didn't, I didn't see like a, a the, the antipathy towards elections in it until I was talking to people who had, you know, helped draft it. And um, so I I thought that was interesting and that there was sort of a, I mean, I would even hesitate to say, uh, no, what? I I would even say that there's maybe an anti-political reading of this and that the the debates we've been having over anti-politics could, in theory, be represented by the by this points of unity i'm sure grant probably doesn't agree with that totally but i I don't think that the the problems that an anti-politics person would have with this is really in the points of unity well just to add on to that like i personally like have you know issues with these points of unity. i don't think they're perfect but i like for example this i think we have to make compromises at times for greater unity and what level of compromise you're willing to make should be up to debate and whatnot. But I think we can't all expect our the points of unity to be what we want them to be. 
That right. I mean, sense. if I was in the organization, I would politely explain to people what I thought about the what I thought it should be or what have you. I mean, I don't I don't disagree that an organization's you know shouldn't be written off off of its points of unity being vague. But I think Lexi is right that there are several readings here that this is amenable to a lot of things. Yeah, and I think, but my response would be that we have a whole, we have a few years ahead of us to debate these meetings of these things and to make them more concrete. And the way we debate these things should not be through Twitter and Facebook threads, but right. through principled polemic amongst ourselves. I mean, that's the real challenge, isn't right. it, of like forming a communist organization in the United States is how to have a healthy culture of debate, right. especially, you know, with the CIA like records, like mucking everything up. You know? <laughs> I don't think we need the CIA any- anymore. I mean, I'm sure they're there. I mean, that's what they want you to think. No, no, no. I, d- I think people are pretty goddamn dumb sometimes. Like, I've seen it happen. I've I've done stupid things. We've all done stupid things that the CIA might as well have made us do. Like, Well, honestly, like, this might sound paranoid, but I was literally worried that, like, some alt-right idiot was going to try to shoot up the conference. And I was like, I really hope that people here have guns. I actually was literally thinking that. Well, yeah. no, locally, they, for like, I think the DSA had like redneck revolt people like patrolling like during their thing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Not a bad idea. Do we have anything else to say about this, people? Yeah, like I said, it's kind of hard for me to like agree or disagree with these points due to their vagueness. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a potentially a good start. Um, I think again, there there are always problems that you know trying to organize workers in the United States due to, you know, the sort of like decomposition of the working class and the general kind of atomization of capitalist society. But obviously, you know, I'm extremely supportive of any of any efforts to do so. Um, we'll see what kind of traction they get. You know, we'll see if, you know, I know I've heard, I think I've heard like Varn and other people be like, well, how does this scale up? Which is a good question, but I think that's also a good problem to have. You know what I mean? And I, I obviously I'm not usually one to kick things down the road, but I feel like that's probably something we'll have to figure out once we get to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think what I think, and I made this closing remark at the conference is that we need to have a strategy of patience in multiple different senses. We need to be patient with each other in our political differences and working them out. We need to be patient in building our actual organization and getting to that level of unity, and we and, and we need to be. Just, we need to understand there's going to be contradictions, even within our points of unity. And this is okay because we're not a party yet. We're not an actual organization that's ready to govern yet. And we have time to work these contradictions out. And we can do it in a respectable way. Well, yeah, well, yeah here's the thing. like, Motherfuckers need to get over themselves because, you know we're facing some really extremely dire shit. Like this is a very, I think we're in a very grim situation and I think that we have these like principles like internationalism or, you know, this this idea of like the dictatorship, the proletariat. We don't have these things because it makes us cool. No, these are, these are basically like logical necessities to actually like confront and like overcome the contradictions of capitalist society that are causing all these problems and so we need to we basically need to be radical pragmatists in the in this sense we have we advocate these things not because we're like these idealistic humanists but because they are the only possible way 
that we can actually get out of this uh, civilizational nosedive that we're heading into. Yeah, I think the way McNair told me was we need to be pragmatic, but for revolutionary rather than reformist ends. Right. And I think that's the attitude we need to have about these kind of things. Yeah. And, you know, part of these, part of our, part of this task is to be like self-critical about the kind of culture that the left can produce. It sounds like Marxist Center was trying to do that. Um, yeah, I was very impressed actually by their workshop on left like on internal culture. Yeah, so like that's unusual, and that's I think this is an overall hopeful development. It's a little rough around the edges, and you know, just putting it up front, not to be sectarian, but you know, there's going to be a good reason why why we can't use the 20th century as our as our like as our like uh guideposts as our map yeah like a road map uh, yeah, there's good reasons for that and you know a lot of it has to do with the international character of the revolution we're hoping to get all right yeah we're just we capitalism is different today there's all kinds of historical lessons we've learned and i think at this point something like this has to be rough around the edges right right and th- it is hopeful that there are sort of like you know, Marxist Leninists and such that are willing to kind of put down the tank for a little bit and, you know, try to like coalesce with people that do not like agree with them. And um, I, I don't necessarily have a problem of working with people if they want to be practical. You know, I don't care what their position on North Korea is. However, you know, like once there is going to be a more concrete political project, that will be of the utmost importance um, to set yourself apart yeah, from that. And the way I've been kind of looking at this issue is like the Stalinists are like the trash that takes itself out. Basically. And that's how it was at this conference was that these people, these, these you know, Stalinists, they weren't just Marxist Leninists, they were Stalinists. I mean, we could say maybe they're the same thing. But anyway, the point is, is that their ideology, their ideology was so sectarian that it kept them from being able to partake in this conference. And so I think that if we have the right principles and the right politics, this problem will kind of take care of itself, if you uh, understand what I mean. I, I know what you mean, but like, how do I put this? I, I mean, I don't think that all Stalinists are, are going to be that dumb about it. And I think there's a lot of pretty rational, like, MLs that are sort of like post-Stalin, like, Brezhnev, or no, excuse me, post-Stalin, like, sort of Khrushchev, like, orthodoxy kind of types that are that are pretty, I don't know, they're, they're kind of, if they don't go total popular front, they're pretty level-headed. But you also have the anti-revisionists, and okay, we can give the anti-revisionists some credit for not being popular front Stalinists, but they're, you know, that is a problem. They're sectarians. Well, n- they're sectarians. not just that they're sectarians, even... And they're also author- they're bureaucratic and authoritarian, Well, too. right, like, they're, you know, they're like, the thing that they advocate is is a overwhelming historical like revisionism like literally you know they're anti-revisionists they're literally historical revisionists like yeah well there's there's a whole public image issue too when you have people saying straight up like 
just historical bullshit representing your org and whatnot. I will say this, though. I think respectability is kind of out the window. You know what I mean? Like, I think things are so fucking crazy now. Nobody fucking cares. You know, I feel like I feel like I feel like Bernie could come out and say Stalin did nothing wrong and it wouldn't hurt his image. He, he really, he really <laughs> think so? Like, I think I, th- I think I think literally nobody gives a shit anymore about anything. I, I don't know. Like, at least in the incentive systems in Washington, that would hurt him. Like, they they hate him. They hate him anyway. Doesn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they do hate him. But like, that's not how Bernie made his career. Like, Bernie made his career basically by. You know, more or less being a not quite internal opposition, but he might as well have been. And he was barely, you know, barely. Opposition. He's not like a troll anti-politician no, like person who can just and and that's not the basis of his support. Right. So yeah, if he started repping, you know, mustache man, he would alienate you know a lot of his crunchy base. You know, but I actually agree with Jake in that um, you know that might get in that if somebody in the public sphere right said that right now right. they would not receive the same kind of backlash right. or skepticism you'd definitely be rolling the dice but i could see the dice coming up in your favor you right you could definitely spin it a certain way which is hilarious about our about the current state of bourgeois society you know it's interesting i mean i guess you could you know defend Stalin against Hitler or something and maybe pull it off. Oh, yeah, I mean, that's just common sense to me, but... <laughs> oh, right, like, I think I think you would be able to do something like that, like, Stalin was a good Christian and did nothing wrong, on the other hand, you know, I think that's <laughs> yeah, a little like, more I difficult. just think... I mean, he's a totalitarian, yeah. obviously. Yeah, and, yeah, there's good reasons why. And a ter- not even a good Marxist. There's, there's good reasons why you would want to politically disassociate. Yeah. Uh, but, well, but, I mean, but, I don't know. Wait, this but, is a whole other... I, I just don't like the word totalitarian. But, but pre- that's pre-politically, a whole other like, And I think it's inevitable. Marxist Center is a, is a pre-political project. It is building a base towards the end of building a political project of some kind. Um, it, and it's trying to figure out what it believes in. Right. And I think that look at the early social democratic parties. Look at how much debates they had over ideology and stuff when they were coming yeah. together. I mean, I think the smart thing to do would have been for everyone to who attended to have driven there and then just, like, loaded their car up with as much weed as they possibly could <laughs> to develop, like, a financing base, like, once they went back to their cities. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. Can we end on that? <laughs> I think I think that's a good place to stop. <laughs>